0: We're in a great series called adulting where we're learning how to be better adults in every way. This is not a message for millennials or for any particular age. This is a message for every age because I know if you're like me, there's areas in your life where you need to grow up. And I need to grow up. So we've adopted a, a theme verse for this. this. is 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 11. I want to put that verse on the screen for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I, uh, I thought as a child, and I reasoned like a child, but when I became an adult, I put away childish ways. So we're trying to say, let's, let's keep the, the things about childhood that are precious, the innocence. Uh, the trusting of our Heavenly Father, uh, the receiving of the gifts from Him that He's given us. But the childish ways that we need to get rid of, the, the irresponsibility and the the, uh, the the not being faithful to the things God's called us to, that's what we're rising above as we grow in Him. And we're growing. It's a process. And we're all growing in that process. The six building blocks to maturity that we're going through in this series, if you're just joining us, are these. Uh, The first week was character. We talked about God changes from the inside out and character is way more important than the image, that's what's projected on the outside but if our character is right, our image is being changed as well. Second week priorities we talked about big rocks first, what are the priorities in our lives that we need to have in place and make sure that we're growing in those areas and that we don't crowd out the important things with the mundane things and the things that really, really matter and then purpose, we talked last week about purpose, the greatest purpose for all of us, for every one of us here, no matter what age you are or no matter what gender you are, you were created for a purpose, and that greater purpose is to glorify God in all that you do and to know him and to enjoy him forever. That was last week. Today, we want to talk about balance, all right, balance. Uh, I got a meme for you this week. I want to put a picture up for you. Being an adult is like trying to stand up in a hammock. <laughs> How many of you have ever been in a hammock? Raise your hand. It's just a weird kind of feeling, isn't it, to get in that hammock? Just to get into it is is dangerous, but then to try to stand up in it—I mean, that's just beyond imagination. Although I'm sure your kids have tried it, and maybe you've tried it. Uh, Jim Gaffigan, one of my favorite comedians, he says—he he says, you know, he says, if you—if have you ever been in a hammock with somebody else? Raise your hand if you've been in a hammock with another person. He said, if if you have, you better be dating them. <laughs> Because there's no way to get apart, you know. He said, you, and I would say as a pastor, you better be married to him. Because if you're in a hammock together, man, you are squish, squish, squish. And, you know. He said. He said I got in a hammock with my cousin one time years ago, and he still won't talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> but standing up in a hammock, you know, that's an interesting analogy. And sometimes I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I feel like I'm not adulting well. In some areas of my life. And it's kind of like that imbalanced feeling of being in a hammock. Kind of like standing up in a hammock, it's kind of like the image I get of a newborn giraffe. Some of you have been to Africa, and that newborn giraffe, those videos where they're just trying to get their feet and trying to stand up. But sometimes I feel like that, even as a 60-year-old man, that some areas in my life I'm still tottering, I'm still shaking, God's still doing some things in me, and, I, and I'm sure that's true for you as well. Do you ever feel like you're working when you should be resting? Or do you ever feel like you're resting when you should be working? That continuous tension in your life. Do you feel constant tension and guilt? I think parents feel that way a lot about children. Those of you who just graduated with so proud of you and thankful for you, and we just pray that you will make a great impact on the world for Jesus Christ because he's what it's all about. But uh, I don't know, finding that constant tension and almost a, a low-level, sometimes a high-level guilt that sometimes we work too much, sometimes we rest too much, and just finding that balance of it all. So do you find it difficult to balance life? And do you feel that constant tension? Well, I think we all do. So this morning, that's what this message is about, is trying to, to work diligently, work hard with our hands, and trying to balance that with rest, and then to rest in him. That's what the message is about this morning. So the first thing I want you to write down is this. It's a good thing, and it, I, w- I will work diligently. You know, if you are trapped at home, like if you're really sick, or if you, if you have a handicap and you can't get out, prison can sometimes, uh, I mean, homes can sometimes feel like a prison. If you just can't get out, but when you've worked all day and you've worked hard and you've sweated and you've invested your life in something, at the end of the day, it feels so good to come home and rest. But that working diligently is important. I want us to look at a few verses about this way back in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 34, verse 21. We read this when God's laying down. Uh, the commandments for God's ch- children, the children of Israel at that time to follow. He's trying to help them create margin in their life for everything, for him, for work, for rest in their finances. He's trying to teach them how to create margin so that they're not always stressed. And work and rest is something where we all need margin. And Exodus 34, 21 says this, six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest, you shall rest. Now, okay, if we were to take a survey this morning between uh, all of us here, how many of you would say, uh, I'll give you two choices and then give you an opportunity to raise your hand? How many of you think you, you work so much, you have real trouble finding rest? Would you raise your hand? That's you. Okay, how many of you feel like maybe maybe you rest a little too much and you have trouble finding enough to do with your time and keeping yourself busy? How many of you fall into that category? All right? And most of you didn't raise your hand, so you're just too tired to figure it out, right? Uh, but God's listen, this is not an option if you're gonna follow God, if you're gonna follow Jesus, is not a viable option. You can choose not to work, you can choose not to rest, but to work and to rest, if we're going to follow Jesus and his example, and if we're going to do what God told us to do, we have to do both. And work is a big part of that. It's a blessing to work, not a curse. Now, a lot of people misunderstand Genesis when God brought the curses in Genesis when Adam and Eve fell into sin and and they ate of the fruit and they did what God told them not to do because they believed the lie of the devil. And then he cursed the ground, and he says, it's going to bring forth thorns and thistles. But way before that, God had created work, and he'd given Adam something to do, and Eve something to do, and they were to manage this garden. So work was a blessing from God. It's not a curse. A lot of people think that work is a part of the curse. It's absolutely not a part of the curse. In fact, in heaven, there's going to be lots of work to do. All right? All uh, right. Some people picture, and I just did a funeral yesterday, we pray for Lisa Binge; she lost her father this week, and we had the memorial service Uh, yesterday, Lisa's sitting right here, and we're praying for you, Lisa, and for your family, and Ryan Flake, who lost his dad last week, and so let's keep praying for them, but a lot of people, when you're doing funerals, and I tried to to clarify this yesterday, think that when you get to heaven, first of all, you're going to become an angel. I don't. When people post heaven has just gained one more angel, they're not understanding the Bible. You don't become an angel when you get to heaven, all right? You're still you. You're the same person you were here, except now you're glorified. Now you're in heaven, now you're in God's presence. But people picture heaven as being a place you're going to sit up there in the cloud as an angel and play a harp. When my brother was little, he was asking my mom, he's 10 years younger than me, and he was asking my mom about heaven. And mom was trying to field the questions as best as she could. And finally, he said, well, how long are we going to be there? And uh, she said, we're well, we going to be there forever. And he goes, won't we be bored? <laughs> Now, if you picture heaven as just floating on a cloud somewhere and just kind of doing nothing for eternity, yeah, that would be super boring. But the Bible says he's creating new heavens, new earth. There's going to be exploration. There's not going to be death to interrupt us or sickness to interrupt us or sin to interrupt us. There's going to be cities and dwellings and vineyards and houses and lands. There's going to be kings and kingdoms. God's going to be working all throughout eternity, and so will we. And that's a cool thing. So work is a blessing from God. Uh, It's not a curse. Uh, A few years ago, somebody gave us a a gift to uh, the Cove, uh, the Billy Graham kind of retreat center up in the Asheville area. And we went there to hear Dr. Howard Hendricks, who was in his 80s at the time. He had a patch over one eye. He had lost one eye to cancer. And he was still, now he's in heaven, but he was at this time, he was still getting it done. And we went to hear him speak, and he said, man, I'm in my 80s. He said, and I'm so happy to have something to do. He said, I am so. I see some people just sit at home and rocking a rocking chair and just kind of waiting to die. He said, I'm happy to have something to do. And that resonated with me. And I'm, th- I'm thinking, Lord, if it's your will and if it, if it pleases you, Lord, just give me the health until the day you're ready to call me home to keep doing it, keep doing something. Maybe I'll be too old to preach, but maybe I can be ministering to people and helping people. And some people have handicaps and things that you can't avoid. Some of you are... It At home, you can't get out. Some of you are bound to wheelchairs and so forth. We've got Junior in our church who just had recent brain surgery again. So you've got to find something, even at home, to keep you busy and keep you working because work is a blessing. And I don't know about you, but I'm happy to have something to do. And I'm so happy to be able to be one of the pastors here at this great church and to be a part of what God's doing. And I hope that you're happy to be able to work. I'd like to look at another verse with you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 says this, For even when we were with you, we would give you this commandment, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. And there's a lot of people in our country nowadays who really don't follow that mantra. They, they really think, well, I'm, I deserve a free ride. And so, like we said, some people are handicapped. Some people have stuff in their life that they have no control over. But some people are just looking for a free ride. And God says, his principles throughout the scripture is, look, to work and to eat, go hand in hand. You have to work. You have to be engaged and be busy and be productive if you want to get through this life. And that's a command from God. Luke chapter 19, verse 3, he tells a parable. You can go home and read this today about servants and and a master that's giving them investments to to secure for him and to invest for him while he's gone. In, in Luke chapter 19, verse 13, it says, Calling ten servants, he gave them ten minus some coins, some money. And he said to them, Engage in business till I come. Another translation there says, Occupy. Occupy till I come. So God says to us clearly that we're to be busy. That we're to be busy investing our lives in people. Investing our lives in things that will matter for eternity and be busy. And we said before, some of those things are mundane. Mowing the yard, changing the diapers, washing the dishes, changing the oil in the car. There's a lot of things in life that are mundane that have to be done, and some of those are part of the curse, the thorns and the thistles part. But work is a blessing from God. And so I hope that you understand that. Do you understand that it takes the same muscles to work as it does to play? It's all here, right? It's all here. When you get up on Monday morning, if you had a, have a bad attitude about going to work, and now it's Monday morning. I had a friend who told me years ago, he said, one-seventh of your life is spent on Mondays. You better learn to enjoy it, right? So really, it's all about how we think about work. Are you thankful to God for work? Right now, in your mind, in your heart, would you just say, God, thank you that I have something to do. God, thank you for my work. Thank you for providing for me through my work. Thank you for giving me a body that I can work. And if if you're disabled and you're not able to or you have a place in your life, then you need to be looking for things that you can do at home and for his glory and for his kingdom with the help that he has given you. So we want to invest our life in eternity and in people. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and, and verse 10 we read some words of Solomon. We talked about Solomon last week, about the wisest man there ever lived, and some of the good choices he made, some of the poor choices he made. But here's what he says about work in Ecclesiastes 9.10. Because some of you are like, well, yeah, if, you, if, if I did what you did, Dennis, if I was a preacher or whatever, or if I had so-and-so's job, then I'd be happy. But my job just stinks. I don't really enjoy my job. Well, if that's true, number one, you need to look for opportunities that fit with the things that you love to do and try to find a way to get into that job that you're in. But in the meantime, God has you where he has you for a purpose and you might need to discipline yourself to get out of where you are to get to where you need to be. But in the moment, where you are, you're there for a purpose. And Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10, Whatever your your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Don't be half-hearted in your work. Don't be a lazy employee. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there's no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol. That's the grave. In other words, work now while you can. Because in eternity, you're starting over and you're going you know, to have a different perspective then. But what you do now echoes in eternity. And he says, to which you are going. So we're all heading to the grave. And he says, work with all of your might. Whatever your hand finds to do, wherever God has you, maybe you're a homemaker right now. Maybe you've got small children at home, and that's your primary responsibility is in the home. Do it with all your might. If you're a career woman or a career man or you have a business, do it with all your might. Don't waste your company's time surfing the Internet, doing things that you're not supposed to be doing, wasting time, slacking off on the work. You know, a Christian should be the most reliable person on the job site. If you're a Christian and you have a job or you work at home or whatever you do, you should be doing the job better than anybody else because who are, you, who are we to reflect? Jesus, right? In everything that we do. And he says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. You need to be the best in your company. Now, I, I got a, a piece of advice for you. Now, here's a question. What are you working for? Because this is important. Because when we're talking about, and we're going to get to the rest part in a minute. But what are you working for? You may be trying to amass a whole lot of things that just keep you getting busier and busier and working more and more, and you're finding yourself ragged on both ends because you've got all this debt and you've got all these things to care for and you've got all these places to mow and all these things to watch over and look after. Do you you own things and use them for God's kingdom or do they own you? Are you just wearing yourself out for stuff? And you don't have any time for your family. You don't have any time for your children. You don't have any time for church. You don't have any time to share Christ with people because you got no energy left over. What are you working for? And here's a question. Do you need, I want you to go home thinking about this today. Do you need to get rid of some stuff? It's piled up. It's causing you stress. It's causing you financial stress. It's causing you to have to work 24-7 365 days a year because you just cannot keep up. Maybe you just need to get rid of some stuff. Now we say wherever you do as a Christian, you need to be doing it with all your might and doing it to the best and not be a slacker. Solomon has other words for us in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 19. Proverbs 25, verse 19 says this. Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble... Is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint those of you who employ people those of you who have family you know what that means right exactly you're counting on somebody to get the job done they promised you they would get it done and time after time after look we all fail sometimes we all sometimes overpromise and underdeliver then we have to ask forgiveness and move on but if it is your pattern to constantly pr- overpromise and underdeliver then you're you're bringing dishonor to the name of Christ it says it's like a a broken tooth man what's more po- what's more painful than that right a tooth that's aching and throbbing you can't think of anything else or a foot out of joint you can't get anywhere are there any people listening to this message this morning that You know that when people, when they look at you and your work habits, when they look at you and your church attendance, faithfulness, when they look at you and they they say, well, look, they're always promising to do something for me, but they never seem to deliver. That's a huge poor testimony for Jesus Christ. It says, confidence in an unfaithful man in time of troubles like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint." Can I ask you a question are you dependable can you depend can people depend upon you if you sign up for something at the church are you dependable to show up if you sign up for something at work are you dependable to do it if you tell your neighbor you're going to borrow this and you're going to bring this back the next day and you still got it five years later broken tooth foot out of joint all right? you take your pick whichever one of those analogies you want to be we, we don't want to be those kind of people can people depend upon you? Can your mate depend upon you? If you're married uh, and, or you have children, can your family depend upon you to do what you said you're going to do? You say you're going to take time off. You say you're going to take a vacation. But it always gets sidelined for something else. You say you're going to get away from the TV and you're going to spend time as a family and you just can't break that habit. You never make time for your family so can people depend on you? Another question I want to ask along that about not being an unfaithful person is this. Are you a team player? I know some of us have the tendency as a type A personality like rather than work with people, just tell me what needs to be done and I'll do it by myself. But that, that's not in the Bible. In the Bible, we don't have any Lone Rangers. In the Bible, we have a church. We have people coming together for a common purpose. And sometimes it takes a little longer when you have a team, at least initially, because to go and get it done, you might can do it quicker than having to work with somebody. But here's what we're trying to create this culture here at our church, is that we do stuff together as a team. Maybe you could do it better by yourself initially, but eventually the job, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. You can write that down. You can take that to the bank. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. So we're trying to create a culture here of when we have work projects, we work on them together. When we have potlucks, everybody brings and we work on them together. When we have classes, we all come together and we work on it. And we're creating this culture of family that works together. Are you a good team player or are you more of a lone ranger? So I'm going to work diligently. I'm going to work as a team player. I'm going to be dependable. Jesus Christ's name is not going to be besmirched by me not doing the work that he's called me to do. Now, the other part of this, some of us have more trouble with than others. And and I think in our culture right now, in the busyness of our culture, maybe a lot of us have trouble with this. Because on the one hand, you got really lazy people. On the other hand, you got people that are workaholics and never know when or how to rest. And maybe you fit into that second category. Let's let's look at some thoughts here. The second point is this, I will rest religiously. It is a religious thing. It is a biblical thing to rest. So I said, I will rest religiously. Look at Exodus 34, verse 21. Again, it says, six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest, you shall rest. In other words, in the busy times of the year and the slow times of the year, when, when the market is, is a bull market or when the market is a bear market, no matter what's happening in your life, you've got to have this balance of rest. You're going to work hard for six days, but you're going to take a rest. You're going to take a Sabbath. You're going to rest. And that Sabbath involves time alone with God. It doesn't necessarily mean always just sitting on the couch being a couch potato when you rest. Rest is doing something that is different from your normal routine and that will, will rest your body and your soul, but sometimes it will energize you. It's doing some things differently or some different things. So rest involves a change of pace. It involves a switching our mind to something different than we're used to and trying to find some rest in all of that. Some people, even when they come away from vacation, and some of you are going to laugh because you know this is true, you come home from vacation more tired than when you left, right? Just pack, 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 jam schedule, jam schedule. We went to Hawaii, but every minute was planned, and like I was just glad to get home to my bed, right? We, we battle with that rest. So I will rest religiously, and a couple of things you need to re- remember is this. This is that struggle that we said at the beginning that we face. We feel like we're working when we should be resting or we feel like we're resting when we should be working. We got this tension and this low level guilt in our lives. A couple things you need to remember about rest. Rest is not laziness. Because you take a day off, because you take a vacation, does not mean you're lazy. And maybe you grew up in that culture where nobody ever took a day off, nobody ever rested, nobody ever, ever went on vacation. Maybe it was because you couldn't afford it But you just didn't even take time to even do stuff together during the day. Rest is not laziness. And it's not an option if you're going to follow Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about my Grandpa Cobb. He was a farmer. He was a small-time farmer. He never had a lot of money or things. He had few pigs and he had some cows and he he raised tobacco he was a deacon in the church so he had to raise tobacco right he raised tobacco he raised different crops and uh he had a small farm of about uh, about 60 acres and my mom grew up on that farm my brothers have that farm now and they let out the land but my grandfather he was a hard worker during the day he was up early he worked hard on the farm he went out called the cows in and fed the cows and he did, did the hay and all the things he had to do. I remember him plowing in the early days with a mule. He had a big old mule as big as a son. His name was Pat. And he would just, he had the language down to talk to this mule and to plow the field. And, and you know, his, his, uh, his language and his communication with his animals were impeccable. It was really, really masterful to see. And he worked hard. He was tired. He wore, he wore the galluses, the, the bibbed overalls, like I see sometimes in Wilkes County here, a lot of people wearing those. He wore those, and, and he, had, he didn't he didn't chew. But I think they were called red man uh, uh, overalls. I think that's what they, those were called. And so, but he worked really hard. But at night, he rested. He was with his family. We hung out there, and I miss him so bad. I miss those Christmases and those Thanksgiving when we go to the farm and Grandpa was there and they learned to take days off and to rest. He never worked on Sunday. People might come to visit him at his his house. And in the church we were in at the time, I mean, you had church Sunday morning, you had church Sunday evening, you had Sunday school, you had Wednesday night, you had Tuesday night visitation. Whenever the the doors were open, my grandpa closed the doors of the barn and went to church. Somebody might drop into his house. It's about time for church. He said, I can visit with you for a few minutes. But in a few minutes, I'm going to church. This is the Lord's day, and I'm going to honor him with that. And so he said, you can stay here if you like, but I'm going to to go, and I'm going to worship God, and I'm going to rest. He prioritized it into his life. And so, therefore, he, he had a balanced life. He didn't have a lot of things, but he had time for his family. He had energy for his family because he rested. In Mark chapter 2, verse 27, remember the scribes and the Pharisees and the Jewish nation, they were always making up all these extra rules. And they just made the Sabbath just ridiculous that you couldn't even move on the Sabbath without violating one of their laws, not God's laws, but one of the things that they had written. And God reminds them, Jesus reminds them in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath, now that's, uh, the Sabbath is the seventh day of the week. That's Saturday, okay? Since Jesus' resurrection, we worship on Sunday because he raised on the Sunday, and they started doing it different. But the principle was that there's one day out of seven that was committed to resting, to refreshing, to reflecting on God, and spending time alone with him. And he said, the Sabbath was made for mankind. In other words, God says, here's my gift to you my gift of rest you're welcome god really said that out loud i think you're welcome but you know what we think we have a better idea don't we we think we got to keep ramming and get slamming and keep moving all the time 24/7 and we never take time and we break down and we take pills and we find ways to self-medicate because we just don't follow the principles god's given us for rest it's a gift to us so let's just right now say thank you god For rest. Would you say it with me? Thank you, God, for rest. One more time. Thank you, God, for rest. It's important that you remember those words that you just said because next time the devil tries to beat you up for taking some time off with your family, for taking some rest, and you're feeling that guilt, you remember that you just thank God for a gift that he's given you. Here's what Jesus said in Mark chapter 6, verse 31. In Mark chapter 6, verse 31, he said to them, He's talking to his disciples, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure. These are important words, these last words. They had no leisure even to eat. And my dad always worked several jobs. He did everything he could to help our family. He wasn't an educated man, but he was a hard-working man. But here's what I remember about my family. We ate together. We ate dinner together every day. And I I don't know about your family, but I know as time has seemed to speed up and our schedules seem to get fuller and fuller, people don't even take the time to have meals together. One great suggestion, even if you did nothing else practically out of this message, but just take some meals together as a family, it'll make a huge difference. Open up and turn the phones off, okay? You gotta turn the phone off, turn the computer off, turn the TV off. I'm not talking about watching the news while you cram down your hamburger. I'm talking about some time where you look face to face with each other and you have a meal and you enjoy each other. Jesus said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. And you you mothers of young children or mothers of any children, you're like, Yeah, right, where am I gonna find a desolate place, okay? Find a place somewhere. Get out in the woods. Go somewhere. Do something. Go in the bathroom and shut the door. One of my favorite places when I was in college was a look a broom closet. At the end of this hotel that we were staying in, this old condemned hospital where the Liberty University students were staying. And I went in this place. I took my mattress in there. And I went in there and I had my time with God in that private quiet place. Colleges are hard places to find a quiet place. A home sometimes, a difficult to find a quiet place. But he said, get to a desolate place, have a designated place, get alone in the quiet and rest a while because people didn't even take time to even leisurely eat their food and they crammed it down. So find the most desolate place that you can possibly find. Come apart with God. And the old translation says this, come apart and rest a while. My Bible teacher in high school, I've told you before, she always said, if you don't come apart you'll come apart (laughs) you know you have seen that picture of the the zebra and his stripes are unwinding he says i'm having a stressful day you know i think most of us can relate to that so we got to find some margin we got not just find we have to make we have to purposefully intentionally create time in our life and for margin and for rest come apart or you'll come apart so you need to come apart daily You need time alone, quietly before God every day. If you don't have time for that, you're too busy. If you don't have time for that, you need to get rid of something. You need time apart daily. You need time apart weekly. You need to take at least a day off a week. And you need to take vacations together. Maybe you can't afford it. I know the stress of trying to afford vacations. But even if you can't afford to go anyplace exotic, you can afford to go to the lake, and then the next day go to the park, and the next day go up to the mountains. We live in an area where there's lots of things to do around here that don't cost any money. But you have to come apart and rest a while. Now, I think the third point that I'm going to bring you to today has everything to do with the first two things that we talked about. The first thing was, I'm going to work diligently. And the second thing was, I will rest religiously. I'll work diligently. I'll rest religiously. And we talked about the tension in our lives of trying to balance those things. And I believe fully in my heart that one of the main reasons is what I'm going to tell you now. I will rest peacefully in Jesus' work. Would you write that down? I will rest peacefully In Jesus's work, I know a lot of people. I know people in this church who are great, great servants and are working hard. But in some people, sometimes I sense this this sort of performance thing, where you still feel that somehow you've got to earn God's grace. That somehow he's still angry with you. That somehow the score's not been settled. That somehow God's needing you to perform a little bit better so that hopefully one day you can get into heaven. If that's you, if you're struggling in that way at all, you need to come to the place that you understand that you can rest peacefully in Jesus' work. One of the most powerful sayings from the cross was three words, and it begins with it. What were the rest of those words? It is finished telestai in other words the complete plan of redemption that god had from the from before the beginning of time before he created heavens and earth he completed in the work of jesus christ on the cross some of you are still struggling and clawing and fighting and staying busy and feeling like and i've heard people say this even people in this church i just feel like i don't do enough well what are you trying to do? What are you trying to accomplish in the things you're doing? And I believe that deep down, a lot of people have never understood the word that was a theme word last year, grace. God's undeserved, unmerited favor in salvation. It is finished in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 10, if you, if you didn't write any other verses down, please write down these last two verses. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 10 says this. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did From his, I've said to you before, the difference between Christianity and every other religion is the difference of do versus done. In every other religion besides Christianity, people feel and people are taught, it's a part of the dogma of those religions to say that there's something that you have to do in order to gain God's favor, in order to be saved, in order to reach heaven. And the Bible says, Jesus says, I did it all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as no. Jesus has paid the complete price for your salvation. And I believe that's the reason so many people have trouble resting in their mind even. They're struggling consciously with anxiety and with death in our families here in our church. In the last couple of weeks, a lot of people, when they think about death, they're so anxious. They're worrying, am I going to make it? Did my yin outweigh my yang, and did my good outweigh my bad? People who, or should know better in churches, still are struggling with the fact that you can rest completely in the work of God through Jesus Christ. Isn't that a wonderful promise? There's nothing that you need to do to earn God's favor. Now we work hard, but we're not working. We're working from a different vantage point. We're not working hard so that God will accept us into heaven. We're working hard because he has accepted us into heaven by his grace. And we're going to be with him forever and eternity, not because of anything that we've done. So now we want to tell as many people as we can about him. We want to share the good news of Jesus, but not out of fear, not because we're worried that we don't have his favor, but because he's given his favor to us. God is a good and gracious God. Amen? Aren't you thankful that your salvation is absolutely not dependent one, one even one percent upon you, but upon the God who can deliver? I'm so thankful. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. And then the verse previous to that in Hebrews chapter four verse nine says this. Now this is good news. Perhaps you're anxious. Perhaps you're on anxiety medication. Hopefully you can get off of that. I'm not a doctor. I'm not here to tell you what to take and what not to take. But I'll tell you this. Here's what I truly believe. If we understood the grace of God and our relationship that we can have with him through Jesus Christ, if we understood it better, our anxiety and our stress level would be significantly less. Because we can rest in him. And here's what he says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. That's so cool. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Some of you are still striving, still striving to earn God's approval. Maybe because you grew up that way and you, your dad never said it, he never said thank you, he never said good job, maybe your mom never, you could never please her, maybe somebody in your life, maybe your mates like that. You, the, no matter what you do, you can never please them. But you need to understand this. That our Heavenly Father has made a plan for us that's far greater than our ability. And that is a plan to save us by his grace through Jesus Christ. And if we can learn to rest in him, our anxiety, our tension, our depression, all of those things begin to become less and less apparent in our life. Do you have peace? Are you in a place of rest with God? Now, you need to be taking physical rest. Don't misinterpret that. That's that's not important. You need physical rest. But your physical rest is particularly your emotional and your mental rest comes from the ability to rest in the activity of God through Jesus Christ. I heard someone say years ago that often activity, listen, this is good, Often activity is the anesthetic for a guilty conscience. Often activity is the anesthetic for a guilty conscience. You're trying to numb yourself. You're trying to stay so busy that you don't have time to do a one-on-one with God, and look him in the face and receive his grace and walk in him and live for him and love him. You You don't prioritize time in your life, so you just keep busy so you never have to stop and think. Psalm 46, verse 1 says, Be still and know that I am God. Listen, work hard. Work hard. Rest religiously. But even more importantly, because of those things that need to be a part of your life, rest peacefully in Jesus' work. The next step for this week is this. I will work, I like this, I will work from a position of rest. I will work from a position of rest. You're not working because you're anxious. You're not working because I've got to get it done. You're working because God's got it done and I'm trusting him and now he's giving me stuff to do. And I'm resting in him to help me do it. I will work from a position of rest. Here's what I want you to picture. We began the sermon with a hammock. Remember, uh, adulting is like trying to stand up in a hammock. A hammock is not for work. A hammock is for rest. It might take a little work to get in the hammock, granted, but when you get in the hammock, and uh, Brian McDevitt has one, I think one of the camping trips I saw, Eno took one to our trail life camping trip. You know, you gotta you get that hammock put up, and then it's it's meant to to be a place of rest. The breeze is blowing underneath you and the breeze breeze is blowing above you and it's just a peaceful, serene thing to find a quiet place to rest. Jesus is the hammock. He's created the opportunity for you and I to rest in him. We don't have to stress. We don't have to strain. We got to work hard, but not from a place of anxiety, but from a place of rest. Are you lying peacefully in the arms of Jesus are you secure in your relationship with him would you pray with me there might be someone here or someone listening online who's never trusted Christ maybe today maybe just that picture of the hammock was just what you needed to hear listen Jesus died on the cross he was buried in the grave he rose again the third day he promises he's coming back for all those who know him he did that so we could rest in him Maybe you've never found that rest. Today, he offers it freely. Whosoever will may come. How do you get it? You call out to him. He says, if you call out to me, I'll not turn you down. What do you say? Dear God, I want my rest in you. Thank you that you died for my sins, that you was buried in a grave, and that you rose again, proving, in fact, that you were God. Thank you, God, for that. I receive you into my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sin and make me a new person. I rest in Jesus Christ's work for my salvation. If you prayed that prayer today for the first time to receive Christ, would you hold your hand up? I'd like to know about that. That's the greatest thing that can happen to a person is to receive Jesus Christ. Anybody at all across the room? If you want to talk to somebody further about it, we'll be available after the service in here and in the lobby. Just find one of us and we'll be glad to talk to you about it. Listen, how about you, Christian? Christians, are you working from a place of rest? Are you following God's command to rest in him and to take that Sabbath rest? If you're not, man, you can save yourself a lot of anxiety, a lot of trouble, a lot of breakdowns, a lot of emotional stress, by just doing what God's asked you to do. And would you commit to him right now in your heart? You don't have to raise your hand or nothing. Just say, God, I see that I've not been listening to what you said about rest. And right now, Lord, I want you to help me. I'm making a commitment before you, God, to take rest, to take days off, to take vacations, to spend time with you every day, Lord, and rest my soul you. Lord, I make that commitment to you today. And I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand with us as we commit what we've heard today to God? Make a commitment to do what he's asked you to do today as we sing.